And I saw a semi-truck parked beside us at a red light, and I had never seen it before, and I will never see see it again. And there happened to be a sign on it that said, cancer can be beaten. And I thought, oh my God, there is my sign. Welcome to A Second Chance. For the most positive and uplifting time on the radio, stay tuned and get in tune with Second Chance Radio. Welcome to A Second Chance Podcast. Today we're doing our interview live in person. I'm here with Jen and she's invited me into her home and she's going to share a very powerful story today with you. And I just want to give her a minute to introduce herself and tell you a little bit about herself before we get started. Hi, I'm Jen Pratico. I'm 58 years old and um, I'm a cancer survivor and a heart attack survivor. Take us back to what you consider to be the worst moment of your second chance story and we will share what you've learned. My worst day of my life was the day that I found out that I had leukemia. I was 29 years old. I uh, had a three-year-old daughter, and I was pregnant with my my son. I went to the doctor's office to find out about a test for rubella. And uh, the doctor called me the next day, and he said, um, you know, we have to see you either today or tomorrow, which is always a a bad sign. So I went to work that day, and I told the uh, waitress that I was working with, I was working in a restaurant, and I said, uh, Marlene, if they gave me six months to live, I said, I'm quitting here tomorrow. (laughs) And then I laughed, because I I wasn't expecting anything. I went to the doctor that day, and I had Kleenex in my pocket, like we've all done. And I said I was ripping apart the Kleenex, because I was worried that the doctor was going to tell me I had a miscarriage, because I had had a miscarriage eight months previous. And I went into the doctor's office and he came in looking like he had lost his best friend. And he, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he basically said, uh, we think that you have leukemia. And at the time, for some reason, I didn't know what leukemia was. I had seen that story of Brian years before and I didn't take much notice of it. <clears throat> and uh, the thing is, I didn't know what leukemia was and I... I thought to myself, oh my God, the baby is only nine weeks old in my body and the baby already has leukemia. Then bells started going off and uh, I realized they weren't talking about the baby, they were talking about me. And the first thing I said to the doctor was, oh my God, are you telling me that I'm going to die? And he said, not necessarily. Well, at 29 years old, not necessarily is not the answer that you want to get. And uh, so anyway, then... um, I asked him how the baby was. He checked over the baby and he said the baby seems to be fine. Of course, I was a little bit uh, depressed and at that time there was no such thing as cell phones. So I went outside the doctor's office. I used a telephone booth and I called my husband at work and he's and I said to him, I said, uh, you know, I said to them, I said, please get Andy on the phone. And they said, well, he's busy. And I said, tell him it's an emergency. And uh, he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And he said, well, what's the good news? And I said, well, the good news is the baby seems to be fine. And he said, well, what's the bad news? And I said, well, the bad news seems to be that the doctor thinks I have leukemia. Well, his first reaction was, of course, anger. And he said, what do you mean the doctor thinks you have leukemia? What do you, yeah. like, is he, is he 100% sure? And I said, well, 95% sure. Well, that's, that, that's not good enough for him. He has to be 100% sure. And I said, well, Andy, I said... I think because I was working, you know, Friday and Saturday night, this is a Thursday. And I said, I think maybe I'll take the weekend off. And Andy said, what are you saying? Why do you have to take the weekend off? Is that what the doctor said for you to take the weekend off? And I said, Andy, are we that broke that I just found out I had cancer and I'm not allowed to take the weekend off? And he said, oh, of course you can take the weekend off. Take the weekend off. 
Anyway, that I went home that day. I picked up my daughter from my sister-in-law's house. I managed to look up what leukemia was in the dictionary, and I told her that's what I had, that we thought. But I went home, and I tried to be normal as possible. We went out to some friend's house that night, and all I could think about was, you know, like, you know, if I have cancer, I can't feed my crows anymore because I used to feed crows all the time with bread every day. And I thought, you know, I can't see my daughter grow up. But I thought, no, 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 they were wrong. They've made a mistake. And, you know, they're they're not 100% sure anyway. And I'm going to be seeing the doctor on the specialist on Tuesday. Of course, the doctor, my doctor, my GP, had gone into the hallway when I was at his office. And I heard him crying and saying to the specialist's office, he said, what do you mean you can't see her until Tuesday? My God, she's only 29. Now that scared me, but I thought, no, they're going to find out that everything is fine. I went to the doc- the specialist on Tuesday. Uh, the specialist, unlike my own GP, was cold as, as ice. He was horrible. He sat across from me in a chair, like, you know, like two feet away from me. And for an hour and a half, he went on to tell me that he, I definitely had leukemia. There was no doubt about it. He looked at the chart like he was talking about going to Walmart to do some grocery shopping. And he said, yeah, you definitely have leukemia. He said, we just don't know how bad it is. He said it could be, you know, a reasonably good leukemia, which, you know, you could be living a normal life for the next 20, maybe 30 years. Or he said it could be a really bad leukemia and you could be dead in the next, you know, three to five years or five to eight years. And he said, he said, if you're, if you're thinking that you're going to live past eight years without treatment, you're wrong. You'll be dead. And he said, what about the baby that you're carrying? And I said, well, I'd like to keep the baby. And he said, well, that's not probably a good option. He said, I think you should have an abortion because he said that, you know, the baby will probably be born, ab- you know, with abnormal abnormalities and um, it's not good. And uh, so anyway, he said, um, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you two weeks to make this decision. From what you're telling us, this doctor sounds like he made your mindset worse than oh, he better. Did. There's yeah. no encouragement or hope. No, no, there was absolutely no encouragement. Anyway, he said to me, he said that you have two weeks before we get the test results back. He did a bone marrow aspiration on me, which is where they put a very large needle in your hip and they take out the bone marrow without any, he couldn't obviously give me any kind of, um, you know, uh, painkillers or anything like this because oh, I was pregnant. The baby. Yes, and so that's fine. I have a very high pain threshold. So anyway, they took the bone marrow, and two weeks later, he said, I came back to his office, and we had asked him. We said, is there any possibility of a bone marrow transplant? Because it was brand new at the time. It was only out for five years. And uh, he looked at me, and he said no. He said that what we're going to have to do, because he said she'd never make it through a bone bone marrow transplant. He said what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to give her extensive uh, chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, we'll we'll give her extensive chemotherapy. He said we'll wait a while, we'll give her more chemotherapy, and we'll try and keep it under wraps that way. Two weeks later, we go into the doctor's office. He tells us, he said he looks at his chart again with this grim look on his face. And he said, yeah, she definitely has the horrible, bad leukemia. And my husband made a joke. He said, couldn't she just, you know, like he said something about, couldn't she just be a cute wife instead of having acute leukemia? I was like 1,000 away from acute leukemia. I was at 59 or 69,000 and acute leukemia is 70,000. 
And he said, no, he said that she's going to definitely have to have the bone marrow transplant. This is a doctor who's just told me that I'm not going to live through a bone marrow transplant. So I said to him with tears in my eyes, can I please have the chemotherapy mm-hmm. again? He said, no, you may not. And of course I was scared. And he said, what about the baby? Have you thought about the baby? And I said, well, of course I have. And he said, have you decided on an abortion? I said, I don't want an abortion. I don't believe in abortion. And he said, well, you happen to be lucky. He said, there happens to be a doctor at Vancouver General Hospital who happens to be a woman who happens to be pregnant. And she may have some empathy for you because obviously he didn't. So I said, okay, I'll do whatever I have to do. And he said, there was a centrifuge that uh, they could put me on three to four times a week for three to four hours a day. And he said they would siphon out my blood Hmm. and uh, they would give me new blood. And I said, I will do anything to save my, my baby. That's, you know, anything. So anyway, I went home that day. I was not a religious person. I did not grow up in a religious family. And, you know, I went home that day because I always say there are no atheists in a foxhole. And so I went home that day. I went on my hands and knees and I prayed. And I said, please, if there is a God, I said, please help me. And I said, please, I said, I will, I will help out other people with cancer. Just get me through this. Fortunately, I guess God thought that he would listen to me. And we were driving out to see the doctor in Vancouver at Vancouver General Hospital, my husband and I. And, uh, and I saw a semi-truck parked beside us at a red light. And I had never seen it before. And I will never see see it again and there happened to be a sign on it that said cancer can be beaten and I thought oh my god there is my sign Mm -hmm. so we went to see the doctor at Vancouver General Hospital and uh, she she uh, saw me like she was actually two hours late but that was okay we waited for her and uh, she saw me and she said look at we can put you on the centrifuge and I said fantastic and uh, anyway I uh, I was scheduled to go on there, but uh, I saw my doctor every three weeks, Dr. Archer, the first oncologist. And instead of going up, my, my uh, white blood cell count started going down. It went from 69,000 down to, I believe it was 60,000 the first time, and it kept going down more and more every three weeks. And I didn't go on the centrifuge at all. I didn't have any kind of treatments. And the doctor would say to me, my God, you should be getting worse. What is wrong with you? Like you should be getting worse. You shouldn't be getting better. And I said, that's because Dr. Archer, I have no intention of dying. I'm 29 years old. And I would joke with him and I would say, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously I got pregnancy weight. I'll have pregnancy weight to lose after, you know, after I have the baby. And I'd say to him, you know, like, do you think I'll lose, lose weight? You know, like having the, uh, having the chemotherapy and everything he said of course and I said well that's that's all I'm concerned about so, so I said as long as I can wear a bathing suit <laughs> you know in the summer I'm happy anyway by the time my son was born I I actually saw an obstetrician once a month to make sure that everything was going well and the obstetrician when he saw me because I also acquired gestational diabetes at the time and uh I remember telling my father-in-law that I had diabetes and he said well that's okay. So that's a lot better than having cancer. And I said, Oh, I still have the cancer. (laughs) You know, I just have the diabetes now too. And anyway, I mean, that was kind of the, you know, like, I mean, I I could deal with the cancer, but the fact that I had to eat carrot sticks and, you know, and celery when everybody else was eating marshmallows, when we went camping. Now that was the hard part. But anyway, my doctor said to me, Oh my God, he said, 
you have uh, gestational diabetes, you have leukemia, and you're pregnant. And I just looked at him and I said, well, when it rains, it pours. And he said, no, it's thunder showers now. It's, oh it's, it's raining really hard. And I said, that's okay, because I'm going to make it. I had every intention of making it. And I went through my nine months of pregnancy. They took my son early, obviously, because I had leukemia. So they took him a little early by C-section, which was fine, because I already had my daughter by C-section. And uh, he was born seven pounds, eight ounces, perfectly healthy baby boy. And uh, the day that uh, I had gone down from 69,000 down to 15,000 when he was born. And after he was born, my GP came into the room and he looked at me and he said to me, okay, he says, now that you uh, have made it you know, through this pregnancy and you have a baby boy who's healthy, he said, now it's time to, to work on you. Now, I had been positive for nine and a half months that they had made a mistake and I was going to forgive them for this mistake, but it was a big one. <laughs> and I thought, you know, like, okay, just don't do it again. And I was positive that I was fine, that they had made a mistake, that everything was okay. And he told me that now we have to work on you with a cancer. And I thought, oh my God. And it was like, I had been kicked in the head by a horse. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. And I started having tears coming down my face. And I looked at the lady that was next to me who had a premature baby who had to go to the uh, children's ward. And I looked at her, and that was when I decided, how dare you feel sorry for yourself? You have a beautiful son, and you're going to be just fine. And she may not have a baby, because her baby may die. And you have no right to feel sorry for yourself. And that was the last time I did. And after that, I started to be more and more positive. And, you know, like the doctors would tell me that I would be out and you know, like eight weeks. And I said, no, I'll be out faster than that when I had to go to the hospital. I was out the first time in five and a half weeks and I had to go back in two weeks later for, um, because I had graft versus host disease. And uh, I asked the doctor, I said, you know, how long will I be in? And she said, two weeks. And I said, Dr. Reese, how long will I be in? And she said, Janice, count on two weeks. And I said, Dr. Reese, count on less. What would be a record? And she said, okay, one week. I was out one week to the day. All right. And then two weeks later, I was in for one more week because of some other complications. But since then, I have not had any signs of cancer. Um, because I had said to God that uh, if you help me with this, I promise I will help out other cancer patients. A year after I got out of the hospital, the uh, hospital actually called me and said, would you please be a support person for other people with cancer? Now, I don't know about anybody else, but when I've made a promise to God, I keep it. (laughs) I keep my promise. And I said, yes, I can do that. So for a full year, I saw 11 patients. And out of the 11 patients, one passed away, unfortunately, from uh, problems from complications from an ulcer. He didn't pass away from the cancer. And he couldn't get the... um, he just couldn't get the the feelings of positive thinking and imagery and everything else. I just couldn't get it through to him, unfortunately. Everybody else though, did well. And while I was in the hospital uh, going to visit another patient, a lady actually came up to me and she said, you're her. And I said, I'm who? And she goes, you're, you're the lady that we've heard about. And I said, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, could you please talk to my husband? And I said, of course. I went to his room. The man had a very, very strong Swedish accent. I I was having a hard time understanding him, but I just told him about positive thinking imagery, about how you got to believe that you're going to get better. 
and how you got to believe that you're going to walk out that hospital door. And I held his hand and about an hour after I was talking to him, he actually whispered to me, he said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. I stood up, I stood beside his wife and suddenly I had chills that went up and down my body. And I said to him, I said to his wife, I said, he's going to be fine. I just know it. I can feel it. And a week later he went into remission and I had another lady who I went and saw and she was like 52 years old and I saw her and I used to make sure that I looked good when I saw these people and I said to her I said and she said she goes I don't believe you are who you are so I showed her my ID and all that stuff I showed her my Hickman line to show her where I used to have tubes coming out of my chest and she goes well you know what the doctors just have not given me any hope because she said that uh, I've got other things wrong wrong with me besides the cancer And she said, the doctors haven't given me any hope. And she goes, you know, I'm a very religious woman. And she said that if it's my turn to go, she goes, I'm ready to go and meet God. But she goes, problem is I I started late in life. I have an 11 year old son and I'd really like to see him grow up. And I looked at her and I just said very seriously, I said, Mary, you leave God out of this. Because I said, he's got a lot of people right now that he's worried about and you ain't one of them, Mary. I love that. And I said that, you know what? I said, you're going to be around for another stinking 40 years. I said, in fact, you look a lot better than I looked when I was in the hospital. So I said, I think you're just using a bed just to, you know, (laughs) get my tax money. But anyway, after about an hour, Mary started to laugh and everything else. And and I uh, left that day and I called her a couple of days later. It was a... A Thursday, I called her and I said, Mary, I said, I was just wondering if I, if I can come and see you tomorrow. And she said, Jan, the day that you came into the hospital, she said that if I had a, had a gun, she said, I would have shot myself because the doctors didn't give me any hope. She goes, when you started talking to me and you told me about imagery and imagining yourself getting better and you t- started talking about mind over matter and everything else, she said that... I started getting better and she goes, the doctors couldn't believe it. And she said, today I am going home. She called me a year later to thank me. And, you know, like, I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, like, you know, the thing is, is that like I told Mary and I told all of the other patients that I saw, the doctors are fantastic. They know what they're doing, but they're called doctors for a reason. They practice medicine. They don't know everything. They don't know when you're going to die. They can't put a toe tag on your toe. They, they tell you the worst case scenario because if they're right, they win. If they're wrong and you live, they're heroes. Either way, they win. So I don't listen to what doctors say. I listen to what my brain says. And my brain says that I'm going to be fine. And like I, I said before, I mean, like now when I have a cold, it doesn't last because I say I don't have time to have a cold. I don't. You know, like, I mean, your brain will do whatever your brain wants it to do. And if you tell your brain that you're going to, you know, you're going to have a fantastic, fabulous, happy day, you will. If you tell your brain you're going to have a miserable, horrible day, trust me, that's what the universe will give you. And that's all there is to it. So that's (laughs) it. So true. Wow. So now we get to where we take a closer look. Tell us, what has changed the most from this experience about you personally? Uh, What has changed most about me personally is the fact that I, like I'm writing a book called The Gift I Call Cancer, and it is a gift because like most people, I used to, you know, worry about what people thought of me, worry about what my house looked like. I still worry about that, but (laughs) I mean, the thing is that I worried about all these stupid 
stupid things. And now I actually think to myself, today is a gift. Today I'm actually alive. Today I have a day that I can actually do whatever I want and I can make the most of whatever I want for today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week. But right now, today, I'm alive, and that is a gift. And that's what's changed. I do believe in God now. I never used to, but I do believe in God now. I do know that there is a purpose in my life. There's a reason why I haven't died yet. And, um, you know, I'm not worried about dying, but I really don't want to die until my grandchildren are growing up so that I can, you know, see them get married and have kids and all that stuff. But... You know, like every day that I wake up is is a total and complete gift. So I don't take anything for granted anymore. I don't take the fact that I don't take anything for granted. I mean, I just enjoy every day that I have. And that's what's changed. So powerful. What wisdom would you share that you've gained from your experience? The wisdom I've gained? Well, like I just said, like, you know, like I've gained the wisdom that uh, there is something higher than myself. Uh, I gave him the wisdom that uh, life is short and you got to, you know, make the best out of it. You can't, uh, I've never been a negative person, but I've, I'm much more positive than I ever even used to be. I don't let small stuff bother me anymore. I mean, like, you know, like if people don't like me, I understand, you know, like not everybody's going to like you, but whatever. I've got lots of friends. So, I mean, I just don't care anymore about little stuff. I only care about the big things and that's all that counts in my life is my family, my friends and, you know, a roof over my head is always nice, but you know, whatever comes my way is I accept it. I don't know if I should bring this up or not, but as you say a roof over my head, it makes me smile cuz we're sitting here underneath the roof that <laughs> you're telling me just flooded and even with that happening, it's just Amazing how you've turned it into another positive experience. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, we had a we had a flood in September. We're still not quite back into our house yet because it takes them a long time to do everything. But the thing is, is that you know what? There's worse things that could have happened. I could be homeless, and you know, I have a wonderful son that I'm living with right now, and um, I have a wonderful family. I have wonderful children, you know, grandchildren, and I wanted new floors anyway, so I got them. So I mean, that was a good thing. So I mean, like, what I do is I take lemons and I make lemonade, and I'll tell you, I have an orchard full of lemons right now. So <laughs> I can make a lot of lemonade. <laughs> I just want to take a second to say thank you to your son because he introduced us and yeah. he uh, runs a wonderful business, AP Photography. That's correct. And he did some photos for me for my speaking profile. That's and excellent. as we were talking, because he's a very natural photographer, we just talked like we are now and he got some great pictures. And he is a wonderful, wonderful son. He has got the most generous soul that you've ever met. He is like an old soul. He's yeah. like an amazing person and he is my miracle baby because he wasn't supposed to be born so you know yeah yeah that, that's how you came up was he was telling me the story about when the truck pulled up beside you exactly and the thing is is that I think too that the I mean obviously when I had my miscarriage before he was born eight months before I mean obviously that was devastating that was more devastating to me than having cancer because I really wanted that baby and it was like oh my God, you know, like, why are you doing this to me? And I know why God did it to me now, because if my miscarriage hadn't miscarried, if mm -hmm. that baby hadn't miscarried, I would have never had Andrew. I would have never found out I had cancer and I would have never lived to see my daughter grow up. And I would have never lived to see, you know, this baby grow up. So this baby actually sacrificed its own life for me. And I know that one day I'll see him or her again too. So it's fine. 
It's you can't see it when you're in the situation. You can only see it looking back, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, the next question is to share one personal habit that contributed to your healing. And I think you've shared many, many of them. Thinking positive, being optimistic, uh, not taking the doctor's negative opinions as gospel. But what would you choose to focus on? Oh, positive imagery and uh, mind over matter. And uh, yeah, just believing just truly, truly believing. Like when I was in the hospital, I, I would say to myself every day that I looked in the mirror and believe me, there was days I looked pretty rough. I mean, I was totally yellow because of jaundice and, uh, the doctor had actually told me one day it was quite funny. He came into the room and he said, yeah, he said, we just, uh, realized that you have uh, gallstones and, and one day they may, you know, you may have a problem with them, right? And I said, well, why don't you just tell me I have AIDS and we'll just get it rid of, you know, get it over right now. You can just kill me. <laughs> oh my yeah, it was quite funny. But anyway, I mean, I would look in the mirror every day and I, you know, like I had jaundice, I was totally yellow. My eyes were yellow. My hair was gone. I looked horrible. But every day I would look in the mirror and say that I'm 100% better today than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'm going to be 100% better today or than today. And I mean, I would say that every single day and I used to say Mike Tyson was uh you know the the prize fighter at the time and I used to say that my body was like Mike Tyson inside my body I had Mike Tyson and he was fighting the cancer and Mike Tyson of course was extremely you know brutal and a great fighter and everything else and I said that you know my body is Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson is fighting the cancer and it's gonna be gone and I used to tell myself I have no room for the cancer inside my body you can leave because you're not welcome here so just get out of my life I love that way of looking at it Can you share with us, did you have a resource, like a podcast? I don't think podcasts were around then. No, no podcasts. I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) A book, or or was there anything that helped you? No, there was absolutely nothing. All that helped me was the fact that my dad used to tell me that, you know, like that story that everybody knows that the man is walking down the street and he doesn't have any socks or shoes. And he sees, and he's feeling sorry for himself. And he sees the man that doesn't have any legs that's in a wheelchair. And he says, I have no reason to feel sorry for myself. So because of the fact that I grew up with alcoholic parents, the fact that I had to uh, basically grow up a lot quicker than most teenagers, uh, the fact that, I mean, I always knew that there was something better in life. And I always knew that I was, um, I I didn't grow up with a lot of confidence. And and I think that the fact that I, I... moved to um, Utah for 10 years, um, you know, like changed my life a lot. I mean, like I already was positive and, and everything else, but living with a alcoholic mother, like not living with her obviously, but you know, having a, a mentally abusive alcoholic mother that was living close enough to abuse me constantly. And then moving to, to Utah, and it was funny because my friends used to say, because I show my love by by giving out gifts, and they would say to me, Oh, Jen, I mean, you're so generous and you buy us all these gifts and all that stuff. And we just love you so much and everything else. We were on a, on a church retreat one time and I said, well, you guys are giving me a gift that I've never had. And they go, what are you talking about? Right. And I said, you've given me the gift of love. And I think that totally changed my life and it just made my positive attitude even better. And it just made my belief even better. And, you know, I have a very blessed life and I feel blessed every day that I actually wake up. So nothing really bothers me that's so beautiful we're almost at the end can you share with us what is something that you're most passionate about today okay what i'm most passionate about probably my uh 
well, I mean, I love, uh, I love decorating. I love, uh, you know, I just finished painting my house. I like to be creative. Uh, I love my grandchildren. I like to play with them. Uh, I love my kids. I hang out with them. I just love life in general. I mean, you know, every day I just, I find something new to enjoy. I can feel it sitting here in your home. It's, you know, three quarters finished or 80% of the way. And it's just such a, a warm, loving feeling here. Well, thank you. As we're coming to the end, I have two more questions. Okay. Tell us, what would you say to you? Every day is a second chance to... A second chance to talk to people, a second chance to give other people hope, Um, a second chance just to to say that, you know what, life is not as bad as you think it is. It's, you know, like, just because you, you know, like cancer is just a word, you know, it's 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 just a word. It's just a word in the dictionary. It's an ugly word, but it's just a word. And you know what? I say that people that actually have cancer have have gone through cancer they've all gotten a gift because you know what nobody you know most people don't actually smell the roses everybody says oh yeah yeah you have to smell the roses but you don't smell the roses until actually you've almost died and then you actually say oh my gosh they do smell pretty nice you know life is pretty darn good I like it and you really start to appreciate it and it's like it's such a gift so I think that anybody that's actually had cancer that's been lucky enough to live through cancer should be, you know, thanking their lucky stars that they had it because I think God only, you know, chooses those people that you think can really do something with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and tell us a little bit about your book and where people can find you if they want to connect with you. Okay, well, my book is called The Gift I Call Cancer, and it's all about my experiences. And uh, yeah, you can contact me. You can uh, go through my son, and uh, he's got, uh, do you know what Andrew's email is? Yeah, I'll put it all in the show notes. So I'll connect you with uh, AP Photography. You can email him and he will have uh, his mom give you a call. Yeah, exactly. Anybody that needs uh, just a little bit of an uplifting or just not feeling, you know, their best or whatever, you know, like, I mean, uh, I'm there 24-7 to help people out. That's what my, my goal is in life is just to give other people hope and inspiration and, you know, realize that cancer is just the beginning. It's not the end. We'll end it right there. Cancer is the beginning, the beginning, not the end. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you for opening your home to me and inviting us in and sharing your story today. Oh, not a problem at all. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Second Chance Radio for the most positive and uplifting time on the radio. So tune in again with your host of Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio.